Can we worship God with our hands and just thank him for that? Wow. Awesome. Can we appreciate our brothers and sisters for leading us and serving us? Thank you. Awesome. Do you have a good day today? Good. So did I. So did I. Hey, uh, we opened on, um, when I was with you on the first night, with the number 39,600. The average amount of seconds, that's 11 hours a day, that humans, uh, people uh, in the United States spend in front of a screen. 11 hours a day. And I read you an article that talked about sociologists saying it's wreaking havoc for us relationally. I think one of the greatest things we can do by way of spreading the kingdom of God is getting face-to-face with people, life-on-life, eyeball-to-eyeball. And we talked about how to live face-to-face, how to live before God's face and seek his face, not just his hands. Remember that? Uh, So that we can face all with the vision that Jesus gives us. We looked at a leper who, uh, who lived and how Jesus lived in that rhythm and, and embraced people that most of society runs away from. And then we looked at Mary, uh, that passionate worshiper, and talked about uh, what brings about a passionate worship. We said it's going to cost you something. You're going to have to lose your pride because it's just about you and God. You're going to have to give lavishly of alabaster jar proportions. That's what worship is. Remember, worth ship. You're worth it. And you're going to be motivated by the cross. Last night, we looked at Nicodemus and how he got face-to-face with Jesus in John 3. And the truth in love embraced him so much. And he wasn't afraid of where the truth led him. He just continued to follow the truth. And if he wouldn't have done that, we wouldn't have a grave to point to that's empty. Jesus would have been thrown in Gehenna, the garbage pit. But I'm concerned tonight, not concerned as if you're not going to do it, but as a stewardship of this camp, I want to equip us all, myself included, on how we live this out. What does it mean to follow Jesus face to face when we get off this mountain? Uh, I'm not a prophet. I'm not even the son of a prophet. But I know there are certain challenges we're going to face when we leave here. And I want to talk about that tonight. And I want to um, teach about a woman who uh, is new to me, not new because I didn't know her name, but uh, on a recent trip to Israel, we stopped in her hometown. And the greatest thing about Israel, they continue to uh, unearth it and discover new things. And uh, I had no idea the passionate, intimate follower of Jesus, Mary of Magdala, was uh, until I walked through Magdala and contemplated her life. So I'm going to ask Jesus to meet us and speak to us, just like he spoke the name Mary that first Resurrection Sunday. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Lord, what if you answer? We we sing it believing, spirit break out, break the walls down. I believe you still have work to do in our lives. I need more work. And thank you for giving us the gift of time tonight, tomorrow. So break down walls, Lord. Break down barriers. We want to give you our whole heart in response to who you are. Reveal yourself tonight. We pray this in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. 
So she's one of, uh, by the way, we're on page 15 of your message notes. Uh, she's one of at least six Marys who followed Jesus. She's one of the best known and least understood women in scripture. She's mentioned by name in every one of the gospels, the biographies, and had the honor of being the first eyewitness to the resurrected Lord and the first ambassador for Jesus's resurrection. As I looked through the commentary, she was called an apostle to the apostles. The apostle means sent one. She was called the first Christian because she is the first person to see the resurrected Jesus. She was called the first missionary in another commentary. She's an amazing woman who had a vivid encounter with Jesus and it changed everything and it translated into a passionate following. I would have us consider she followed further than almost anyone in the Gospels. I'll build that one out. She's kind of a big deal. And I want to learn from her and her encounter with the Lord. I'm excited, actually, for you to meet her. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. I feel like I'm introducing a good friend to you. I've just been engulfed in this study this spring and, and summer. Let's learn from this woman who followed Jesus passionately, like she did. And here's my big idea I want just to, to sit in. Salvation is free. We talked about that last night. It is a gift from God. It is, it is grace and it's a gift. But following Jesus will come at a cost. You know, as I pastor and shepherd a church, I've got to ask myself, why is it that there are some people who have followed Jesus just for three years and their maturity is greater than those who have identified as a follower of Christ for 10, 15, 20 years. I wrestle with as a pastor, my own character as, as a child of God. What role do I have to play in my Christian maturity? Have you ever thought about that? I am the man I am because of the grace of God, 100%. But somehow God gives me a, a partnership in my growing like Christ. I want to say this and encourage you with this. I know I'm not going to wake up one day and just be a godly person. You're not going to wake up one day and be a godly, Christ-like person. Uh, if you're taking notes, free of charge, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. Paul always wrestled with this interplay. He said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Can I get an amen? amen. Yet, he says, his grace to me was not without effect. I worked harder than most, Paul says. Do you see how grace was met with effort on Paul's part? And then he said, in the same breath, yet not I, but the grace of God. Even as he said, I worked, he said, even my effort was because of grace, but it was God's grace, but I worked. God's grace, but I worked. God's grace, but I worked. And over time, Paul grew to look more and more like Christ. Salvation's free, my friends. And the offer's still open. The back pages of your field guide have a summary of what we talked about last night. But if you want to enter the school of apprenticeship to look like Christ, you will pay a price. You will pay a price. I want to talk about that from Mary's life. Let's start in Luke chapter 8. Let's meet Mary for the first time. Uh, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, remember he's up in the Galilee, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, we know them, but this might be lesser known knowledge, maybe new knowledge for some of you. 
Jesus didn't just have the 12. There was a, a group of men and women who followed him along with the 12 and seemed to have supported him. This, the, these were some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Let's meet them. And in the Bible, lists matter. Order matters when you see names. And when this group is listed in the New Testament, Mary's always at the head. She was an important person to Jesus and to these other women. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom, how many? Seven demons had come out. And then verse three, these women were helping to support them out of their own means. Maybe JR showed up and said, I'm raising money for Jesus. Give, I don't know. Mary's distinguished from the five other Marys through identification of her hometown, always is. Mary of Magdala. Magdala was an affluent fishing village off the coast of the Sea of Galilee. It was in the rural town, by far the wealthiest village in the region. So that's why she could support Jesus. Jesus would have passed this town literally hundreds of times. If you go there, they literally just unearthed a synagogue. And the original floor of the synagogue is there that Jesus very well could have preached in. It's phenomenal. It says she was, had seven diseases. Numbers matter also in the Bible. Seven is the Bible term for mega. She was mega-possessed um, in biblical language. That's the only thing we know about her besides her city of origin. Uh, the only other place, by the way, in the Bible where that term mega-possessed is used, if you're taking notes, is Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. It's in a whole different region of the Galilee across the sea. And you probably remember the story. Jesus and his disciples cross the sea. There's a storm at the sea. And they show up and there is a boy who's mega-possessed. And so from his life, because it's the only other time the word is used, we can discover some things about Mary. What do we know about this mega-possessed boy and the mega-possessed Mary? This boy was pushed outside the city. He lived, anyone? In the graveyard. This boy wandered amongst the tombs. He was a complete social misfit. This boy was naked. He couldn't even be clothed. He would just rip the clothes. He was a madman off his body. He cried out. He screamed. He cut himself. He could not be restrained. That was Mary before she met Jesus. She was that neighborhood crazy person. Every neighborhood has one, right? Can you identify that crazy person in your neighborhood? If you can't, I've got news for you. <laughs> How many of you have seen the movie Up? I think Mary was like Carl. She was that person everyone tried to avoid. She was that person parents kept their kids from. She was that person people pointed fingers at and labeled and ridiculed. And while others, now please, face to face, while others saw a crazy woman, did you see the subtitle of what we're talking about tonight? Seeing all through the eyes of Jesus? Jesus, when he met her, whenever he did, saw the first Christian, saw his first missionary, saw his most devoted follower. And the minute Jesus' compassionate eyes came grace to face with this wild-eyed, dehumanized woman of Magdala, he saw a woman that would be 
a blessing to his heart and to the heart of others. That's the power of the gospel. Her following, though, came at a cost. And what I want to do is show you from this point the cost and the price she paid and how far she would follow Christ. Let's go to the first place. Go to page 16. The first, uh, the first price she had to pay was following Jesus to the cross. We talked about this last night. Jesus was tried and executed, and most of his followers fled, except there was a small group that remained. John 19, 25. It's in your notes. Uh, it's going to come up on the screen here. Near, important, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas. And look who's there, everybody. Mary Magdalene. Near enough to hear him speak. Near enough to see the blood drip off his body. It was a scene she couldn't bear to watch, but she couldn't bear to leave because she loved Jesus so much. It was gruesome, and Mary listened with a broken heart to his bitter cries, watched through those dreaded hours till the last Roman soldier pierced his side and declared him dead. And when that happened, my friends, every sense of intellect within Mary was betrayed. How could this happen? How could this happen to my Messiah, to my Jesus? Blaise Pascal, that French philosopher and mathematician, Brian quoted him his first morning in his book, Pensees, said, reason's last step is the recognition that there are an infinite number of things which are beyond it. Put that quote on page 17 in your notes because it's so good. Reason's last step is the recognition that there are an infinite number of things that are beyond it. I want you to know as you made commitments up here on this week, as you uh, resolved some things about your character, when we get off this mountain, that resolve and those commitments will be tried. And following Jesus will mean, at some point, walking by faith and not by sensibility. Walking by faith and not by intellect. Walking by faith and not by reason. See, our, 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 our faith in Jesus is an informed faith. We're not idiots. We don't throw out our brain. But neither is our intellect the limit of our faith. That's what Mary knew. When everything broke down and most people ran away, she followed Jesus to the place where it was a mess. Everybody, can I just get your attention, please? Don't turn away when things get messy when you get off the mountain. When obedience leads you into a mess, don't stop your pursuit of Christ. Life is messy. Obedience is messy. We've talked about that. It costs you way more than you ever, ever intended to pay. And the payoff is way greater than you could ever have anticipated. I'll be honest with you, these last two years have been so hard, so messy in my life. Hardest years of my ministry. And yet the intimacy that 
we've experienced, my wife and I, with Jesus, we wouldn't trade it for anything. God uses the mess to unearth things within you that have been dormant for so long. It's his growth track. And I'm not heroic because I know in this room or uh, in, in our church, we, we have uh, parents that are fostering. And it's so hard. And it's such a mess. But it's obedience that gets them there. And they continue to, to follow Christ into that mess. Or we have people in our church that are giving generously, crazy generously, and it's a mess because they can't keep up with other people around them. And yet that giving and the mess isn't turning them back. What are the limits of your faith in your passionate following? In my two years that I've gone through, I realized so much. My heart cry is really in line. God, take away the mess, take away the mess, take away this pain. Uh, the heart cry really is a longing for heaven. For all of eternity, when we'll no longer have to struggle and wrestle and have um, dark nights of the soul. That'll come one day. But Mary tells us the mess is worth it. She didn't stop there. It got actually worse. At some point, you're going to follow Jesus to a death. Not your death. I'm talking about something's going to die in you. Because in the kingdom of God, dying is the new living. Dying is the new living. Do we forget what Jesus said in Luke 9, 23? He said, if you truly desire to be my disciple... Disown your life completely, embrace my cross, die to yourself, the tense there is continually, and surrender to my ways. Many times as we follow Christ off this mountain, we'll come through a mess or we'll be in a mess and Christ will call us to die, to something. It's the only way to growth. You know that. I'm just here to remind you of that. Here's how it played out in Mary. Even a dead body on a cross didn't turn Mary away. And thank God she didn't stop following at this point. I mean, can we just say it was enough that she was near the cross when most everyone, 11 of his closest disciples fled and didn't even show up there? Can we commend this woman for how intimately she followed? But then when everyone left and Jesus was left hanging on a cross, we talked about this last night, I left her out of the story last night. Let's pick it up with the same text we were in last night. Matthew 27, verse 59. Look what it says. Joseph took the body. We met him last night. Remember him? Wrapped it in clean linen cloth and placed it in his own new tomb that he cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance of the tomb and he went away. Now look at this, verse 61. Look who followed Jesus through his death to his burial. See, Jesus had done something so profound in her. She listened and traveled with him. She'd heard his teaching. She loved him. She got face to face with him, and she would never forget what that would be like. And look who's there. Verse 61, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting opposite the tomb. 
Of course they were. After all Jesus had done for her, after all the time they'd spent together, can you imagine how it must have broke her heart to see this lifeless, mangled body quickly mummified before Sabbath? We talked about this last night and laid in the tomb. She supported him. She cared for him. And I can just imagine her sitting, watching this, going, this is, this is where it ends? A tomb? A stone rolled away? Rolled into it? And at some point, Joseph and Nicodemus walk away, and she's sitting with the other Mary and going, I, I, I guess it's over. It's really over. The shock and trauma of the crucifixion was one thing, but the grave was a finality. And I, you need to know this. I told you this again. Uh, I, I mentioned this last night. When Jesus died on the cross, his followers thought the Jesus thing was over. It, it, it surprises me, and I'm not trying to judge them, but as much as he talked about his resurrection, not even Mary expected the tomb to be empty. We'll see that in a minute. She's walking away and walking through a death. But even that didn't stop her from following. Okay, but I need to ask a sensitive question, okay? I'm here to shepherd you, not judge you, shepherd you. As you've been up here all week and sitting in uh, in worship, being together, the stuff we get life on life that we don't get on a podcast, the good stuff. What has God been convicting you that needs to die up here? Is it an attitude? Is it a habit? Is it a character issue? What is it that the call of Christ is on you and you're going, oh my gosh, I, and you need to die to something and bury it up here on the mountain and leave it up here. I know some of you are wrestling with that. I've talked to you. I just need you to know many people turn away at that point and go, wow, that, that's the cost? And they, they plateau spiritually. Jesus would never ask you to die to something that wasn't dehumanizing you, that wasn't eroding the Christ-likeness in you. I just know in our church, we have a group, uh, God's doing this great thing amongst young adults in our church, and there are some amazing young adult singles who, who have died to the fact of dating because they just won't date someone who doesn't match their faith. And they just won't compromise. We have some older godly women and men in our room and maybe even in our midst who have died to their dream of marriage because they'd rather not compromise and just lay that at Jesus' feet and let the glory of God and the, the presence of the Holy Spirit be enough for them. Or people who've died to a promotion because it would take them away from convictions that they hold deeply, things Brian talked about this morning. And they're saying, promotion, an extra hundred grand isn't worth it. What needs to die? And when you get off the mountain and come under conviction, you realize something's got to die. That's got to die. I've got to let that go. Please don't turn away from following Christ. 
Let Jesus carry you through the tomb. Because, my friends, there's life on the other side. And we're going to see that right now. When you walk through the mess and you walk through a death, there's resurrection. Let's pick it up in John chapter 20, page 17. Let's land this plane, following Jesus to the resurrection. Isn't she amazing? I mean, we haven't even gotten to the good part. I love this woman. We're going to pick it up in the story. Most of you know this Easter story. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Why was she crying? Uh, Well, I'll pick it up from when they put him in the tomb. Mary went home, worshiped God, honored the Sabbath, and at the crack of dawn, I believe even before the crack of dawn, she had her stuff ready to go properly embalm in the body. And so she's going to the tomb, not expecting a resurrection. She loved Jesus so much. He's three days dead. She's still caring for him and supporting him. And she goes there, and you know the story. This is Easter, right? This is our day. Uh, The tomb, the stones rolled away. No one's there. She thinks, this is mind-boggling. Again, if you don't know Christ, wrestle with this. None of his followers expected an empty tomb. She thought someone, I mean, you'd think she walks in, empty tomb, and Peter and John did the same thing, and and you'd think they'd go, oh my gosh, he talked about this. He must be raised from the dead. But where does Mary go? Someone's stolen the body. And so they leave, Peter and John leave, and Mary is left there with all her dreams dead, and she's crying. By the way, look at verse uh, 14, she's 11. She's crying, completely oblivious to the fact of who's in her presence. This is why I love that Pascal quote, reason's last step is a recognition. There are an infinite number of things which are beyond it. Her sight, her, her hearing, her senses, and ours too, are so limiting when it comes to reality. She thinks it's the greatest tragedy of her life. She has no idea in a matter of minutes who's in the room with her. She has no idea. She's about to be made one of the most famous people of the resurrection. That's why I say trust Jesus through the mess. Trust Jesus through the death. There's so much more than meets the eye, my friends. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? And for the rest of her life, after this story, she must have thought of the double meaning of that profound question. In other words, Jesus is saying, and I offer this Tenderly, because I think some of us are in the same realm. Mary, you're looking for the wrong Jesus. You're looking for a Jesus you've created by circumstance. That Jesus doesn't exist. You're looking for the dead Jesus in her case, but I'm alive. Mary would have never discovered who Jesus really was if Jesus hadn't revealed himself to her. All her searching would have come up empty if Jesus hadn't revealed himself to her in that moment. Okay, this is important. Got 10 minutes, so just hang with me. 
when you think of your life off this mountain and following Christ, okay, that's the whole point. We are Christ followers, most of us here. Who is the Christ you intend to follow? Is it the Jesus that we believe exists to serve us only, to upgrade our lives and give us a sterile life where everything is a win? Promotions come, kids end up great, you never get a cut, you always get the best parking space right in front of the Safeway? That Jesus doesn't exist. We follow a poor man who didn't have a place to lay his head and the perfect man and ended up being crucified for it and promises not to give you an easy life, but he'll give you a significant one if you follow him. Thinking he was a gardener, she said, sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you put him. I will get him. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, I love this, I cannot wait to get to heaven and talk to Mary about what was Jesus' voice like. Let's just say the end of verse 16. Let's say her name together. Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary, don't you know what that, what that voice meant to her? Don't you know it melted her heart? Don't you know at that moment she looked back at the mess of the cross of the complete death and burial and said, oh my gosh, I walked through the pain where reason was thrown out the window. I had no idea why you died. I walked through the tomb where all my dreams were dashed and with one word, everything changed in her narrative. Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, don't hold on to me. Literally, literally, he's saying, stop clinging to me so tightly. Mary, I can't breathe. You'd cling to her t- him tightly too. If you loved Jesus that much and saw that all that happened to him, you wouldn't let go as if she was saying, I lost you once. I'm not losing you again. And Mary, he's saying, I have something better than my embrace. Look what he says, go. Circle that word. That is the mandate as we leave here. Go. Go instead to those losers who betrayed me. Is that what it says? <laughs> Mary, I chose, and by the way, he deliberately chose this. Jesus, uh, the other gospels put them together. He was there. He waited for Peter and John to leave. He picked Mary out personally. Because he wanted her, and this is so countercultural, to be the first ambassador to the resurrection. In the Roman culture in the first century, maybe you've heard this, uh, it would completely erode any credibility to base the event that would change history on the testimony of a woman. And yet Jesus doesn't care about culture. He loves transforming social misfits into his ambassadors. And he says, go. Tell them I'm ascending to my father and your father, my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I've seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord. And my friends, this is what I want to mandate us with as we leave. Go. As you walk through the mess, 
and follow Jesus through the pain. You get enough pain in you that intimacy grows and you walk through the mess of the pain and you follow Jesus through a death and you lay down things and say, I am dying to that, Jesus, because you're so worth it. And the intimacy grows. You know what happens? You want to tell everybody about Jesus. And you change your identity, not on what's on your LinkedIn profile. You become a disciple of Jesus disguised by what's on your LinkedIn profile. And your prayers change in the morning going, Jesus, here's my agenda. Here's the meetings I've got. But you call any audible. Because I want you to show up in unexpected places, in unexpected ways. And I want people to peel back the layers of my life where you're not expecting to go, wait a second. Jesus is behind that? (gasps) I didn't expect that. Tell me more. I'm just telling you, when you start praying like that and you start your morning time, if you have a morning time, face to face, and you say to the Lord, at the very last thing, you pull out whatever you use, Google uh, time or whatever you use, your, your day timer, and you say, Jesus, and you pray through your day and you say, call any audible. He has a crazy way of calling audibles. You don't think God would want to use someone like that? So two weeks ago, and this is the stuff of life. Uh, I wasn't in Whole Foods, but I was in Safeway. Because my wife called me on the way home from work and said, hey, can you pick up something at Safeway? It was a, lo- a loaf of bread. And, um, and so I went to Safeway, 6 o'clock on a Tuesday night. We have one of the busiest Safeways in Northern California. And 6 o'clock on a Tuesday night, my friends, there is hell and there's Safeway, just a little bit above it. Six o'clock on a Tuesday. I mean, so many people are there, and I just, you know, I want to get home. And so I go find the loaf of bread. Of course, it's way in the back, and I'm coming back. And they have those self-checkout lines, you know, where you scan yourself. And I'm coming from this way, and I eye a woman who's got a cart coming this way, and I'm like, oh, it's on. You are not getting in that line before me. And so I just start speeding up. She starts speeding up. I'm speeding up, and I beat her. And then she gets behind me, and I said, I'm sorry, because I really am working on patience. I told you about that at Whole Foods. I said, um, listen, and she had, she did have, I counted, I'm not competitive, but I counted. <laughs> she had two items over the limit. But I said, hey, you, you go ahead of me. She goes, oh, no, you only have a loaf of bread. You go ahead of me. And I said, no, actually, I'm working on patience. So you go ahead of me. And there's no lie. She says, good luck with that. (laughs) And then God answered my prayer that morning to call an audible. And in aisle four of the checkout line, the Holy Spirit said, here's your audible. And then gave me what to say. I said, I, I, actually, I'm not, and I didn't think about this. I didn't plan this. You can't make this stuff up. I said, I'm, I'm not banking on luck. I'm banking on prayer. And she goes, oh. And, and friends, I'm just finding where I live anyway. Evangelism really is about asking good questions and creating a dialogue with humility and letting God take it where it goes. And she goes, wow. And I said, yeah, I... I, I I mean, I guess it 
this is how I said it. If God could raise a dead man from a grave on Easter morning, helping me grow impatience is no big deal. And she looked at me and she goes, that's really cool. I've never thought of that. And then her lane was open and she went to check out. And then my lane was open and I went to check out. And I beat her at the checkout (laughs) and walked out. But I tapped her on the shoulder and I just said, hey, God bless you. She goes, thank you. Listen, I didn't get on the Safeway intercom and say, excuse me, everybody. Everyone in Safeway needs to repent right now because the Holy Spirit is, I didn't do any of that. It was just a a chance encounter where I just gave a seed and took the conversation as far as God wanted it to testify to the resurrection. Because when you walk through the mess and you walk through the grave and you die to stuff, your reputation, other things, that's where it leads you, testifying to the resurrection in new life in Christ. So as we close, I want to pray for us. And I want to say to all of us, you're going to face a mess. And at some point, your life following Christ is not going to make sense. Don't turn back. You're going to come to some graves. And the unthinkable is going to surround you. Things you didn't, you're like, that's not my script. I never wanted that. And God's going to call you to die to things. And it's going to be hard. Graves aren't easy. Please don't turn back. Because on the other side of that is life and resurrection and being used by God as a sent one to go. And let's let our community know that God isn't just the Father, as Jesus says. He wants to be their Father in heaven too. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you. Thank you for this follower. Thank you for how she would never turn back, Lord. I pray for that resolve in us. It starts with a decision, but we're trusting your Holy Spirit to guide us off of here. The same Holy Spirit that has met us on the grounds of Mount Hermon will meet us where we live where we work, where we recreate. So as a closing prayer, can we just sing a cappella together? I have decided to follow Jesus. 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 Now mean it. No turning back. No turning back. Amen. Yesterday, some of you decided to follow Jesus and gave your lives to him and invited him in. Some of you may still uh, just be walking down that path, and I just pray that uh, 
this mountaintop experience here at Mount Hermon would truly be a mountaintop experience for you as we have seen so many lives changed over the course of so many years. Thanks, Gary. Hey, uh, as we get ready to dismiss, uh, tonight was Gary's last uh, full plenary teaching session. We'll see more of him tomorrow evening as he'll lead our communion time down at Victory Circle. But would you just give him a big thank you?